Thank you. And thank you, Pastor John. As he said, my name is Tony Regato, and I just want to pause. Can we just acknowledge how cool Pastor John's zipper was on his shirt? It was diagonal, right? Like, it's like, it looks like a normal shirt, and then it's like, boom, diagonal zipper. Uh, super cool. I wish I had one. So, Pastor John, if you're listening live stream, please let me know where you get your shirts. I would love one of those. Uh, but as Pastor John said, my name is Tony. I live about myself. Um, I've been married to my wife, Adriana, my Italian beauty, uh, for six years. Uh, and we just welcomed our first child into our family, Ruby. Yes, thank you. Thank you for applauding our lack of sleep. It's fantastic. Appreciate it so much. Uh, but no, she's amazing. And I have the privilege of being able to share week three of Encounters with Jesus. And so if you have access to God's Word, would you open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, where we'll start in verse 1, and then we'll read to verse 15. And while you're connected to the Wi-Fi or turn the pages of your physical Bible, I just want to let you know of a goal I have uh, every time I get to open up God's Word uh, and teach from it. And it's kind of a two-fold goal. One is I want to teach you something new about God and your relationship with Him. And the second is I want to remind you of something true about God and your relationship with Him. So I want to teach you something new, but I also want to remind you of something true. And so hopefully I've stalled just long enough for your phone to load or for you to find the pages in your Bible. But again, we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, starting verse 1. We're going to read to verse 15. It says this, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda, and it had five covered porches. Crowds of sick people who were blind, lame, or paralyzed, they lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly the man was healed, and he rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is the word of the Lord. And so my father, a little story here to tell you about something. My father, uh, Danny, or Daniel, or Vito, as we as his uh, offspring call him, we call him Vito Regato, as a good Italian family does. Uh, my father, Vito, was often sick as a child. Uh, so much so that he would miss like 30 plus days in one school year, right? It's a miracle he graduated from high school, let alone college and all these things. He was constantly sick. Um, and before you start to think about like what could have ailed sweet Vito that robbed him of his childhood. Why, why couldn't he go to math and learn about geometry or you know, go to gym class and play kickball? Why, why couldn't he be at school? Uh, let me give you an insight about what one of those things were. So on one occasion, my father woke up. I uh, was getting ready for school, and my, my grandmother, Lorraine, noticed that there was something off about her sweet Danny. Um, something was a little wrong. He didn't look quite right, so she sat him down and started to examine him, starting his head, feeling his, if he had a fever, no fever. All right, his throat doesn't hurt. He seems fine there, but something seemed off. He wasn't working or walking quite right. And so he sat down, and she was checking, and then she got down to his feet, and she noticed that the gravest of situations had occurred. The, the most serious, the most dramatic, the most terrible of things happened to her sweet Danny boy. In fact, that inside her shoe, in his shoe, she realized that he had a rock 
in his shoe that was causing him to limp. And so she called up the nurse at the school and said, Danny won't be in. I found he has a rock in his shoe. He can't come in. It's too grave. It's too serious. And so I don't know if there's anybody here who has a rock in their shoe, but let me just tell you that healing can come from you, all right? It can come to you, and we will start a GoFundMe right now for you. If you have a rock in your shoe, we want to offer that healing to you. But that's the type of thing that would keep him home from school, a rock in his shoe. Silly, ridiculous. Why is he staying home? But there would be occasions where he had something more serious, uh, like a fever, right? A common thing like a fever. And so normally what we do in my household is you take a nap, you take some NyQuil, maybe some vitamin C, and you watch Netflix. That's how you get over a fever. That's our cure. Um, but what my grandmother would do is she would have him uh, sit down and then lay down on their plastic-protected covered couch. Like everybody's grandma has that couch, right? And uh, so they would be on that couch, and she would take off his socks and then she would take those socks and then soak them in rubbing alcohol. Uh, just like, just completely drench them. And then she'd place them back on his feet until the fever drew from his head down to his feet. Like, you'll get so cold down here that the fever will come down. That was her, her logic. And I don't know if that's a medical thing. Um, I don't know if that actually would benefit anybody, but that's what their solution was. That's what my grandma believed in. And what I'm finding is that every generation, every home has their own go-to um, position on how do they bring healing or how do they fight off illnesses. What I'm finding is a lot of people today are really into essential oils, all right? I'm about to divide the room right now, okay? Essential oils. Like, they are big proponents of essential oils. If you have any social media account or if you're alive right now, you probably have someone who has tried to sell you essential oils. Um, And what it is, it's basically oils. It's liquefied like lavender, liquefied basil, liquefied whatever. And they believe that if you um, place it on your wrists or on your neck or on your earlobes or down your spine, or if you diffuse it, only in 2019 do we diffuse things. We just diffuse everything, right? It's just all about diffusing. Um, Or if you drink it or if you brush your teeth with it, there are benefits to you. And so whether you believe in that or not, I'm not here to debate that, but I'm finding people are really into essential oils and they believe that it'll fend off illnesses or help them get over something. In fact, the fall season is marked by pumpkin spice lattes and changing leaf colors, but I would say it's just as marked by the smell of thieves. If you're an essential oils user, you know what thieves is. It's not just something you put on your wrist, but I even saw before I came out on stage that someone's literally, there's, there's dish soap that has thieves in it. I don't know what's going on, but they're putting thieves in everything. And so I'm just finding that people really, really believe in essential oils. And whether you're there or not, I'm not here to debate that, but people really believe in it. And so, but there's something that happens amongst all of us that after a few days of having a sore throat or a stuffy nose or a body ache, something happens and it's that we forget what it's like to breathe with a clear nose. You know, we just forget what that's like. You're like, oh, remember when you could breathe with a clear nose? Remember what that was like? You're like, no, I don't. And when you have a sore throat, you're like, oh, remember when you could just drink water and not feel every inch of your esophagus screaming against you? Like, I'm told to be hydrated, but I just, it doesn't seem like my body wants that. Um, Or, you know, you wake up from watching Netflix for a few hours and you get up and it's like, oh, my head's pounding. Like, what's it like to stand up and not feel every single part of my body ache? Sickness, when in the midst of it, seems to rob you of the knowledge of health, the idea of health. Sickness, when the midst of it, seems like it's going to last forever. That's no longer just a temporary thing, but it seems like it's a permanent thing. Some of you have actually had a stuffy nose for so long that you don't say you have a stuffy nose. You just say, oh, that's just how my nose is. Some of you have had a cough for so long that you're like, I don't, I don't have a cough. I just, this is just my life. I just cough every once in a while. Like, it's just who I am. It becomes normal. It becomes who you are. And so I'm just wondering, is anybody here has ever found themselves in the same struggle for so long that you don't even struggle against it anymore? 
Maybe not like a cough or a sore throat, but maybe gossip. Maybe anger. Maybe greed. Maybe critical thoughts of other people or yourself. You've, you had struggled against it for so long, but now you're like, it's not a struggle. I'm just always angry. I'm always critical. I'm always lustful. I just, that's just who I am. And so it's not even that you don't fight against it. It's you don't even think there's a fight to fight. In our passage that we read just a little bit ago, there's a man who's been sick for 38 years. And it says that he's been at this pool laying there. But something happened in his life. He wasn't born this way. No, at some point something happened where he was robbed of the use of his legs. And so now for 38 years, he's found himself moving through the streets of Jerusalem on his hands and on his knees, using his elbows and hands to propel himself forward. His elbows would be cracked and callous. His hands would be beat up. Signs that he has moved through the rough streets of Jerusalem. And he's brought himself to the pool of Bethesda, believing that healing would come at this pool. You see, the pool is like the essential oils or the rubbing alcohol-soaked socks of its day. They believe that if you entered into the waters at the right time when it bubbled, and if you're the first one there, if you entered in, you would be healed. And so Jesus encounters this man, and he says, would you like to get well? It's a very interesting question. This whole man's life has been about getting well. His whole life. He's endured sleepless nights, afraid that if he dozed off for a second, he might miss his moment. He's had to decide, do I go and beg for food and risk missing the moment of healing? Or do I go another day being hungry? He's endured just being a crawl too slow as someone beats him to the water. If there's ever a man who wanted to get well, it's this man. To ask this man if he would like to get well would be like you going to a crew car wash on the first nice day of winter and waiting 25 minutes to get to the front of the line. And you get there and then they ask you, would you like your car washed? No, 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 I was just hanging out. My wife is in Culver's, and I thought I would just kind of kill 20 minutes in line here. Where Actually, where's your turning around lane? I, I'm not a part of the unlimited membership. Like, how do I turn around here? Right? The very fact that you're at Crew Car Wash symbolizes, demonstrates your desire to get your car washed. You're not at this pool unless you want to get better, unless you believe that there's something that needs to be healed. So why does Jesus ask him, would you like to get well? What's interesting is that the word Bethesda can be translated two different ways. It can be translated house of grace or house of shame. Most likely you don't have the word house of shame on your kitchen wall above your dinner table, right? Most likely you probably don't do that. But you probably have house of grace. And so I think Jesus is proposing, I think he's asking, what house does this man believe he lives in? I think he knows the power of grace but I think he also knows that shame is a powerful tool as well. Some of us actually believe that shame can be an appropriate tool. That if you feel shame enough, if you're ashamed enough, you will actually turn your life around and you'll start to live a different life. If you have enough shame come on you, have enough, enough uh, just beating yourself up, that you'll actually start to live a different life. But what I'm finding through Scripture is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit never uses guilt, he never uses shame, and he never uses condemnation to inspire change in your life. He never uses those three tools. Why? Because guilt says, I can't believe I did that. 
I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I gave into that again. I can't believe I slipped up. Oh, Tony, what are you doing? Why did you, why'd you get so angry again? Why did you lash out again? Oh, Tony, why did you live so greedy? Why, did, why would you do that? Why are you living that way? Why would you do that? And I just beat myself down and down and down. And it forces my eyes down, down, down. Shame says, I am that. It's no longer a mistake. It's no longer a flaw. It's just, this is who I am. This is my identity. It's no longer a mix-up, but this is just how I live. And if you sit in shame long enough, you get to a place of condemnation, and condemnation says, I will always be that. The ink has dried. The concrete has settled. There's no going back. You see how each three of these drives you further and further into a state of paralyzation, of darkness, of defeat. They drive you further into yourself, further into change not coming, further that there's no hope. But what the Holy Spirit will use, he won't use any of these, but he will use conviction. And conviction lifts your eyes to a better life. Guilt, shame, and condemnation, they all drive our eyes further to the point where like, I'm so upset, I can't believe I did that. I'm, I am just an angry person. I am so, I'm just a rageful person. I'm so greedy. I'm so lustful. I'm so impatient. I'm so critical. Uh, and now I'm like, oh, I'm always going to be that. There's no change coming for me. I'm just looking down and down and down to the point where like, I can't even see that there's promise ahead of me. I can't even see that there's a better life ahead of me. But what conviction does, it lifts your eyes. And when you lift your eyes, you see what you long for. You see the hope. You see the direction your life is supposed to go. Conviction lifts our eyes to a better life. With one question, Jesus unveils the shame that's been hidden in this man's heart. He says, would you like to get well? And this man responds, I have nobody to help me. I'm completely alone. And when I do try to muster up my own strength, someone always gets there before me. This man says he's alone, but the text says that there's crowds of people there. It says that there are crowds of people who are sick, lame, paralyzed. He's surrounded by people, but he says he's alone. Many of you maybe come here on Sunday mornings or you go to work during the week and you're surrounded by people, but yet you feel more alone than you ever have. Maybe you know what that's like. You feel like no one understands you. No one knows your struggle. No one's on your side. See, shame surrounds you with more people than you can count, but leaves you more alone than you can imagine. Where you feel like no one understands you. This man's surrounded by people, crowds of people, doesn't even list the amount of people there, but he says, I'm alone. I have nobody to help me. Do you feel you have nobody to help you? No one's on your side. No one understands. See, shame often goes undetected to everyone else except the person who's feeling shame. Like you feel ashamed, but no one else knows that you're feeling ashamed. No one knows the lies that you're telling yourself. No one knows the struggles that you have. How's that possible? How's it that's going undetected for everyone else? It's kind of like this. If you have family that comes over to your house, maybe for a holiday weekend, 
And that's kind of craziness. It's just loud. It's busy. There's a lot going on. And then finally they, you know, leave and they go out for like an hour and a half to go to Mandy's ice cream. Like they're going to go get some ice cream. Shout out to Mandy's ice cream. All right. They go get some ice cream and it's finally quiet for the first time in like 48 hours. It feels like a month. And you sit down. You're like, I just want to relax. I don't want any noise. And the moment you sit down, you start to hear the drip, 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 drip. You hear that leaky pipe. You're like, I don't want to deal with that right now. I want to just watch TV. So you turn the TV up louder, but you still hear the drip, 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 drip. And then your family comes home, and it's loud again, but you still hear the drip, 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 drip. They don't hear it, but you hear it. The drip was there when they were there before, but you never heard it. But it was finally when you were alone, when you felt alone, when you truly were alone, that you started to hear that whisper, that drip, drip, drip. And now that they're back, even though you're surrounded by crowds of people, all you can hear is the drip, drip, drip. You see, shame may just be a whisper. It may just be a leaky pipe. But the thing about those things is that they're heard with perfect clarity when you find yourself alone. You hear a whisper, you hear a leaky pipe heard with perfect clarity when you're alone. Even if nobody else hears it once they come around you. Shame will never be silenced in isolation. And that's why Jesus invites this man into not just a better life, and not just a better life of healing where he's, he's made whole, but actually a better community. He says, I don't want you just to be healed and be able to walk around, but I actually want to invite you into a better community. And how does he do that? By asking this man, would you like to get well? Jesus knows that this man wants to get well. Jesus knows this man's been ill for a long time. He says, would you like to get well? He's given this man an opportunity to vocalize something that he hasn't probably ever vocalized it. People have assumed it about him. They've assumed that this is a desire. They've assumed that this is a struggle. They assume that this is what he wants, but they've never given him an opportunity to actually vocalize it. There's something about vocalizing our deepest desires and our deepest struggles that brings healing. In fact, authentic community is found at the intersection of your deepest desires and your deepest struggles. The people, people that I feel closest to, they're my true community. My, my true people that I rely on are those that I've gone to in a hurt. I've gone to in a moment of crisis. People that I've opened up to and said, this is my desire. This is my struggle. And when I shared that with them, they didn't put guilt, shame, or condemnation on me. But they actually lifted my eyes to a better life. They didn't push me down. They didn't say, I can't believe you did that, Tony. They didn't say, you are that. You didn't say, they didn't say, you're, always, you're, you're never going to change. They actually lifted my eyes to see that there's a better life available. But there's also a better community. Some of us want to deal with our deepest desires and our deepest struggles alone. You will never silence shame that way. You will never overcome it that way. There is a better community. There is a better life. Who is it in your life that you are able to share that with? Who do you share your deepest desires with? Your deepest struggles? And when you have people share those things with you, what's your response? Are you lifting their eyes with conviction? Or are you putting guilt, shame, and condemnation on them? The community we are supposed to be is one that lifts people's eyes to a better life. In fact, this man feels so alone that even when he has someone in front of him who's offering to help him, he still says he's alone. 
See, shame may just be a whisper that feeds into our minds that Jesus will never come to you in your current state. Shame tells you that Jesus will never come to you in your current state, so you need to move out of your current state, and then Jesus will come to you. But what Jesus demonstrates in our passage is that he comes to us in our deepest, darkest, messiest moment, and then moves us out with him. Shame tells you to clean up before the cleaning crew shows up. But Jesus says, I come to you in your messiest moment to move you out of it. If you're in your messiest moment, your darkest moment right now, you might be in the most perfect position for Jesus to come to you. If you feel like it's gotten too dark, it's gotten too messy, there's no greater lie you could be believing right now. This man's been sick for 38 years. And that's when Jesus comes to him. That's when he lifts his eyes to a better life. And so I love how Jesus actually seems to ignore this man's response, and he tells him instead to do three things. He says, stand up, pick up your mat, and then walk. No doubt at this man's first sensation of strength returning to his legs, he wanted to do sprints around Jerusalem. He wanted to just leave everything behind. He wanted to show everyone, I'm normal again. I blend in. But Jesus tells him to stand up and then pick up. To pick up the thing that's been his home, his couch, his dinner table, his bed. To pick up the thing that represents a life he wants to leave behind and actually bring that with him. Does that strike anyone as odd? This man now has no use for this mat, but Jesus tells him to bring it with him. If, I think it would be so much more powerful. If, if I was Jesus, if I had to decide, if I was doing this moment, I would say, stand up and leave everything from your past behind because I'm giving you a new life. I want you to leave it behind. I want you to trample that. I want you to burn that mat. I want you to leave it behind because I think that sounds so much more powerful. There are things in my life that I want to leave behind. I want to burn. I want to trample. I don't want anyone to know about it. But what I find is Jesus says, pick up your mat. The thing you want everyone to forget. You don't want to talk about, think about, or mention. He says, pick it up. I wonder if we're sterilizing and robbing the gospel of its greatest demonstration of power, which is life change. Because in shame or guilt or condemnation, we want to leave behind our mats. We want no one to know what our life was like before. We want no one to know our deepest desires and deepest struggles because then we don't blend in. Then we look like everyone else. We're in this weird place of like, I think we want to be important. We want to, people to recognize us, but we also want to blend in. We want to stand out. We want people to recognize us on social media, but we also want to blend in. We want to look clean and tidy. But we also want praise. You see, his mat didn't allow him to blend in, but he actually stood out because people would see him and say, hey, why are you carrying that around with you? Hey, weren't you at the pool of Bethesda? I think I saw you like six years ago at the pool. How are you walking now? Or, dude, I think you need a new mat. Like, that's pretty beat up. Why don't you go over to Walmart, get a new mat for $7.95? They got rollback prices. Like, go get a cheap one. It's fine. Like, you need a new one. It's a little beat up. It's time to upgrade. 
In fact, it's actually because of his mat that people do stop him. We see in verse 10 that the Jewish leaders stop him and say, why are you carrying your mat? Our law doesn't allow you to do that. You see, carrying his mat sparked a conversation. And that conversation allowed him to point back and proclaim life change. Well, I'm carrying this mat because the man who healed me, you see, I was, I was sick. I was at the pool for 38 years, but now I'm healed. The man healed me, and he told me to carry the mat. Because he's carrying the mat, it sparked a conversation about proclaiming life change. See, proclaiming life change makes you relatable. Because we already know that in shame, we feel alone. We feel like no one understands us. It feels like no one knows what I'm going through, what it's like. But when you proclaim life change of like, hey, I was there. I was, where, I was at where you're at. I know what it's like to struggle with that. I know what it's like to have that deep desire, that deep struggle, and not think anybody understands. But actually, I've been there. And so then you relate to someone who know, has never felt like anyone relates to them. So it makes you relatable. But then it offers hope to others. You mean that you weren't, you're not in that same place? You mean you're not struggling with that still? Well, if you overcame it, if you're not living like that anymore, then that offers me hope because you've overcome it. So now you're a source of hope. And then proclaiming life change doesn't just make you relatable and it doesn't offer hope to others. It actually gives you an opportunity to point others back to the source of change. You want to know how I'm not there anymore? You want to know why you can have hope? It's because of Jesus. Your mat is an amazing tool to spark conversations that point back to the source of change. What have you left behind? What about your past do you not want people to know that you're ashamed of, you're guilty of, that you have condemnation, but really Jesus has already transformed that mat from a mat of shame to a mat of grace. That he wants to use your past life and the transformational work he's done in you to actually inspire others to feel like they're not alone, that they have hope, and that this is where the hope comes from. This is where the healing comes from. I've yet to encounter someone who had the joy of being declared cancer-free and then wanted to keep that news to themselves. Right? They want everyone to know, I'm cancer-free. I was sick. I had a death sentence on my life, but now I'm healed. So if someone feels like they have someone that understands what it's like for their experience. You've, been, you've had cancer. I just got diagnosed with cancer. Now I don't feel as alone. Oh, you overcame it. That means that I can overcome it. Oh, this is where you got treatment? Then I'm going to go to that same place you got treatment. See, we are walking victory parades that declare that there is a battle won, and there's no holding back. There's no politeness. There's no shyness in a victory parade. It's all about celebration. It's all about that there's a battle won. And so why are we holding back that we were in a battle once when the victory has been won? Your mat is an opportunity and the greatest tool that Jesus has given you. Your past life is actually a gift to use to inspire life change in someone else. Your mat actually can be a source of conviction for someone else. It offers hope to others. It lifts people's eyes to a better life. It says in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What I love about this middle part of the verse is always be prepared 
to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I read that verse and I go, okay, I'm hopeful and I'm ready now for someone to ask me. Guy in the blue Camry at the BP gas station, I'm ready for you to ask me why I have hope. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm really good at waiting when it comes to this. We have really great patience when it comes to someone asking us why we have hope. When it's something we shouldn't have patience with, we shouldn't be waiting around. We should actually be giving people a reason to ask for a reason. We need to give people a reason to ask for a reason. In your mat, your past life, talking about this is what I used to be like, but now I'm not that way, is actually giving people a reason to ask you, why, why aren't you that way anymore? Why, why do you live differently? Why do you seem like you don't, you're not angry anymore. You used to be angry. Why aren't you angry? Don't wait. Give people a reason to ask for a reason. Carry your mat. Don't leave it behind in guilt, shame, or condemnation. But remember that Jesus has transformed it from a mat of shame to a mat of grace. See, Jesus is in the business of transforming objects of shame into objects of grace. And that's no surprise that Jesus died on a cross. The invention of the Roman government that was perfected to not just bring death and painful death, but actually to make a spectacle, to embarrass, to put shame upon the person on the cross, but also their family members, their friends, their co-workers. It was perfected. But we fast forward 2,000 years, and now we wear crosses around our necks that are made of precious metals. We adorn buildings and rooms with images of the cross. We as Christians actually celebrate the cross. Why? Because Jesus has transformed it from an object of shame meant to bring death to an object of grace that's meant to bring life. And so we bring and we wear the cross around our neck because we believe it brings life. It offers grace to everyone who kneels before the cross. So why are we hesitant to carry our mats that are just another version, another demonstration of that power to bring transformational grace to someone's life? Your mat, your history, your past, that Jesus has changed, transformed, is the greatest tool for you to use in sharing the gospel. Don't be ashamed to carry your mat because it makes you relatable. It offers hope and then gives you an opportunity to direct people back to the source of change. Carry your mat. At the age of 13, I was exposed to something that would leave me on my own mat, paralyzed. It was a mat of shame and more specifically, it was a mat of lust where I found myself exposed to something that then left me there. And so in shame, I didn't tell people. I thought that no one understood, no one would understand, and that if I told them, they would look at me differently. And so I, I tried everything. I would do devotionals. I would attend church on Sundays. I would go to youth group on Wednesdays. I would do Bible studies. I would do all kinds of things, all good things, all right things. But what was going on in the midst of that is I had so much guilt. I can't believe I slipped up again. I had so much shame. I'm just a lustful person. And I was starting to go down this path of condemnation where I will always be that. I'm just always going to be this way. This is as good as it gets. I had forgotten what it was like to live life to the full. I was in this weird place where I really did love Jesus, but I found myself unable to live the life that he called me to live. 
It was a weird place. And so I know what it's like to feel like no one understands. I know what it's like to be hesitant. People knew this about me. They might look at me differently. I know what it's like to be in your room alone and beat yourself up that you live this way and this is who you are. And being so frustrated but unable to do anything about it. And feeling that this is just as good as it gets. This is my life. And so I waited and I started to come comfortable in it. But then something happened where I had this encounters with Jesus. We're actually talking about encounters with Jesus. Where he kind of came to me in my darkest, my messiest moment. And he spoke a truth into my life that seems simple and it is simple. But it changed the way I viewed my, I changed the way I viewed my life now. And he told me that you don't have to give in to this anymore. You see, shame told me that this is now who I am. And so I have no choice but to give in to this. I have no choice to live on this mat. This is where I'm going to live. This is my life. This is as good as it gets. But Jesus said, my power within you, the power that I brought to you by my Holy Spirit coming into your life, the power that I brought to you by transforming you, gives you a choice to not give in to this anymore, to live the life that you're called to live, to stand up and to pick up your mat and walk. And so I experienced that healing. It was joyful. It was amazing. I, I can't thank God enough for it. But in shame, in some ways, I was hesitant to tell people about my mat of lust, about the fact that this was my life. Because I'm a pastor, I can't let people know this was part of me. I'm, I'm, I'm someone that people look up to. I can't do that. I can't. What if they'll look at me differently? Or what if this caused me to lose out on opportunities? What if, what if, what if? I didn't realize that Jesus had transformed this mat of shame into a mat of grace. That this is no longer who I am, but it's who I was. And it's a tool to make me relatable to some people to offer hope to other people. Because there's people in this room who are struggling with that same mat. And you, are, you have people who are around you who are, have had the same mat that you have right now. It proclaims life change. It points people back to Jesus. We can't be shameful. We can't feel guilty about our past. True freedom is not just leaving it behind. True freedom is actually in proclaiming that this is who I was, but I'm no longer ashamed of it because I've been transformed. As much as I wear this cross, I carry this mat because it's a symbol of life change. It's a symbol of the work that Jesus has done in my life. Carry your mat. Let people know. Offer hope. Make yourself relatable. And then point people back to Jesus. So do you find yourself on your own mat today? And has your desire for healing start to disappear? Where you're just like, I just have a sore throat. I just have a cough. This is just who I am. Has it started to disappear? Or have you been changed? Have you had victory over a mat, but you're hesitant to let people know? Know that Jesus has transformed it. There's no shame in your past because it's a tool to point people back to Jesus. And there's no mat that you find yourself laying on today that someone else has not been there at some point in their life. Open up. Because a better life and a better community is found when you share your deepest desires and your deepest struggles. We need to start demonstrating not just better lives, but better communities. People want a better community. They want to know that people understand that there's hope 
and that there's a source of change. Pick up your mat and walk. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person in this room, for all the mats that are represented, all the past lives that you transformed from shame to grace. And Lord, for those that find themselves still on the mat in this weird place where they love Jesus, but they find themselves unable to live the life that they're called to live, Lord, I pray that you would start to give them a fresh encounter with you. That you don't wouldn't just invite them to a better life, but a better community, Lord. Surround them with someone who knows what it's like to be there that can offer them hope, but then can direct them to the source of change. Lord, we want to carry our mats. We want to spark conversations. We want to be walking victory parades. Lord, silence the lies of shame, the lies of the enemy. Change our lives and change the way we view our past. Give us the courage to open up to people. Lord, we know you are a good God. We know you're all-powerful. We invite you. We know you're here, but we want to invite you to encounter us. I praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said.